I was thinking about, uh, of course, usually my thinking is a result of hearing a song or some songs, uh, but I was thinking about uh, the wise men. And uh, I don't know if I've ever spoken uh, on the wise men alone, but I wanted to, to just take a look, and we're going to turn in a moment to Matthew chapter 2, uh, at this story of these men. We're going to take a look at the visit from the wise men to the Lord Jesus. Now, your scripture will say wise men. A lot of your Bibles in the margin will say magi. That's the Greek word that they use here. Uh, it's obviously where we would get our word magic. Or magician. And while we look at these men, and, and of course I'll get to this later, but uh, we don't know how many there were. We, you know, I'm going I'm going to read you. I think before I'm done, the words to the song "We Three Kings," but we don't know that there were three kings. We don't know, but there was two or ten. We don't know. But uh, we're going to observe the unusual nature of their visit and their worship. It's, if you just look at it and think about who they are and where they come from, it's just it's a little bit unusual. Uh, and yet, uh, what I want to do is see the picture of what Christmas is about. I want to, I said, Lord, what, what's this, what is it about this story of the wise men that you want us to see? And I think the sum total of it is, the entirety of what Christmas is really about. Now, let me just hasten to add, I am not opposed to the giving and receiving of gifts. Matter of fact, you can give me all you want. I'll take it anyway. I'm just kidding. I'm not opposed to that at all. I'm not opposed. I'm really not opposed to the little fat man. Where's a red suit? I'm not opposed uh, to what's his name. Um, I would like, by the way, as an extra, I would like for us, especially those of you who have small children, I'd like for you to spend more time on who St. Nicholas was and what he did. Because there was a real St. Ooh, I said something, didn't I? There was a, all the kids go. There was a real St. Nicholas who was a minister of God. And he had a ministry. And so it would do us well to try to teach that. And I, you know, I'm not going to get into fantasies and make-believe and all that. Some of you make-believe I'm the pastor here. Every Sunday you show up, I'm still here. So, but 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 I want us to see in this story, I don't know how to word this right, Lord. I want to see the, the, the entirety of what Christmas is and see it through these guys, see it through these, these wise men. And then... At the end or near the end, we'll discover or in some cases rediscover, probably several cases, the prophetic nature of the gifts they brought to the newborn king. There's something to be said about the gifts that they came to present before the Lord Jesus. So if you haven't already, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, this is the only account we have of these wise men coming. Uh, if you would stand while I read verses 1 through 12 from the English Standard Version. And it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, or some well, they rose in the east, 
and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, dummy, just look in my cow. That's not what it says. <laughs> they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. That's exactly right. Pinocchio. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, a Gaither album, I've got a Gaither album with this song on there. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You can be seated. Wise men from the east. There's not a lot that we know about these gentlemen. As I said, we have 12 verses here, actually yeah, 12 verses that deal with them, and it's the only 12 verses in the New Testament that talk about the wise men. And again, we sing the song, We Three Kings. We don't know that there was three. The, the tradition says that there are three gifts, so three kings. That may, may be true. It may not be true. Uh, the truth is it doesn't matter. Probably, even if there were just, if there were three, what we would identify as magi, if there were three, probably an entourage of 40 or 50, maybe more traveling together. It wasn't just these three folks on camel, but a whole entourage of folks coming with them from the east. We, we don't know exactly where they came from. It could be Persia or it could be Babylon. We know that in regards to Jerusalem, as we like to say in the South, they ain't from around here. They weren't from around there. We know that much. We don't really know a lot more. We know they weren't from Jerusalem. They traveled a long way to, to come and to follow, as we'll already identified, that, that star. Herodotus was a 4th century B.C. writer, and he, or he puts them as part of the Median tribe at that time. And they were a part of the tribe. The Medes were a part of the Persian tribe, but they tried to overthrow the Persians. Well, they failed. And so they became, in essence, within that Persian culture or Babylon, Babylonian culture, they became a tribe of priests, or an order of priests, if you will. Um, within, and this is what Herodotus leaves us with his writings. They would be in that world, they would be the Persian parallel of the Levitical priesthood to Israel. So you got the Persians, and then you have the wise men or the order of wise men, magi. 
you've got Levitical priesthood in Israel. That would be sort of the equivalent. It wouldn't be the same because they didn't worship God necessarily the way they did. But these guys would have been men of philosophy, science, uh, even medicine. They dealt with astrology, and this was a different kind of astrology. This was just, anyway, I started naming a name that nobody would know hardly. What's the, no, I wasn't going to name a name because I can't remember. What was the, the lady's name with all the horoscopes way back? Jean Dixon. Uh, some of you know Jean Dixon. Anyway, astrology, dream interpretation, and even the study of sacred writings. You, you could kind of sum up these folks as astrologers, scientists, uh, and such. I'd like to submit a question today, and is, is it possible that they have an influence of Daniel on their lives, that the order, not just these three men, but the whole order, the whole priesthood? Because in Daniel 2.48, we see these words, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, you can say, well, that's just, they're just talking about men who are wise. And that could be possible. This is a, this is not an emphatic, I'm telling you something. This is, is it possible? Because years later, the queen is talking to the king and she says this, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, which is really his grandfather, but anyway, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of, so we're talking about the wise men in chapter 2, chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. So is it possible that this order of, of Medes, this order of wise men that is referred to in Daniel 2.48, is it possible that that group is the same group, that of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers? Is it possible that somewhere along the way, Daniel has had an influence on this order of men? I think it's highly possible. I don't know that it's definite, but I think it's possible. She continues by telling the king, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he'll show you the interpretation. So we may be dealing with the same group of people, except just a certain number, if there were three, I don't know, that came out of that order. But somehow they get in the Bible. Somehow they get identified in the scripture under the heading of what I've called what worship, what worship. Scripture says they came to Jerusalem and then they began to inquire. They began to inquire. We don't know if they did come from Persia or if they did come from Babylon. We don't know a lot about where they learned what they learned. We don't know a lot about where they got their information, but they did have this much information. They saw a star, and they began to follow that star. And they found themselves in Jerusalem, and then they began to inquire around the city, where is he? What a question. Maybe 
that needs to be our, I'm, I'm, I'm not drinking, but maybe that, oh, I can't even say, anyway, maybe that needs to be our question. In this season and every Christmas season, where is he? Where is he? We, some of us went last Sunday night to a thing called Christmas in America down in Franklin. And their question every year that they pose is, we want to find the manger in such and such year. This year it was the year 2000, Y2K and all that. We want to find the manger. Well, we, what, you and I need to find the manger. Where is he? And they arrived in this city. Where is he? And, and they, call, they said, where is he, the king of the Jews? Now, I'm, I'm not a historian. A historian sitting back there in the office. But how did these these guys know that he was the king of the Jews? Who knows? Maybe the Daniel influence. Maybe, I mean, who knows? But somehow they knew. They knew when they came to Jerusalem, they're looking for the king of the Jews. They're looking for this one, that this star brought them. They said, we saw, this is interesting, we saw his star. Not just any star. I've read a couple of commentators this week. I'm not going to name them. But uh, some people... I know I'm just a country boy from northwest Florida, but some people do a lot of extra work to try to disprove things that are so simple. They, they come up with all these explanations about what star they saw and how that star, you know, and they want to completely leave the sovereignty of God out of it. They just happen to see this star that got brighter for a minute, and, you know, no miracle involved, just, you know, I'm just, I'm just simple enough to believe God put a star there. I don't care which one it was. It's brighter than the rest of them. And it led them to Jerusalem. The other thing we don't know exactly, we got an idea. The other thing we don't know is that how long it took them to get there. Because when Herod asked, when did you first see the star? Well, they told him when they saw the star. Now, we're not going to cover this topic today, uh, but if you look, just look down to verse 16, he sends out an edict to kill all the male children, which are probably 40 or 50, under the age of two, two years old. Now, you can assume that it took them two years to get to Jerusalem, or you can assume... And we'll talk about Herod in a minute, but you can assume that Herod would overdo everything, overplay everything. So if he thought the child was one, he would go ahead and kill all the boys two and under just to make sure. But nevertheless, we do know for a fact that it took them a little while uh, to get there. I think that they, and most people do, most reputable Bible scholars studying the Scripture think, they had studied enough scripture and enough, enough, even at the very least of Jewish tradition, that Numbers 24, 17 comes into play. Balaam is prophesying his last and final oracle. And he says this, I see him. Now, do you notice? Yeah. You notice the him is capitalized, but not now. I behold him, but not near. At that point, this is, a, this is obviously a messianic prophecy. A star 
shall come out of Jacob. Many people believe this is the motivation of these wise men, that they, that they had read and heard of Balaam's oracle, a talking, about a, talking about a star to come out of Jacob or Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. <laughs> One version there, there says, crushing the skulls of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. A star shall rise. Imagine these gentlemen, wherever they were, seeing this star and knowing that scripture, knowing that or, you know, reading it somewhere, some parchment, and determining, probably by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, determining, hey, that's the star. That's what Balaam was talking about. What would you say? We follow that a ways and see what happens. And now they're in Jerusalem. Now they're inquiring. And they said this, which is, this is part of the unusual nature, considering they had come from the east. We have come to worship. Christmas has to be about worshiping the Lord Jesus. All the other stuff is fun. I'm not trying to stop it. Christmas has to be about we have come to worship. And as Sean alluded to already, that has to be all year long and not just during this time. These folks, I think, were they came to worship him that they did not fully understand. I don't think they fully understood why they were there. I don't think they fully, un- they didn't know Micah chapter 5. They didn't, they didn't fully understand who this Babe was, except that he was worthy of worship. Somewhere along the way, they got that. I'd love to know how, but we don't know how. Except this, you don't have that kind of worship in your heart, except you have a revelation from God. And the Holy Spirit was working in the Old Testament just like he does now. Well, here they come. We've come to worship this newborn king, the king of the Jews. Well, the enemy's consistent response to the worship of the Lord is to react and to react in such a way to oppose. Immediately, we see the insecurity of Herod, Herod the king. It's interesting that the scripture says... um, Somewhere, it says, Herod the king heard this, because they said, we've, we saw a star, we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem with him. There's probably two aspects of that. One, Jerusalem knew that if Herod saw something, heard something, that would stir up his insecurity, and I'll talk a minute about how that had manifested. They knew, okay, boy, it's on now. Everybody duck. There's a second aspect, and that is that here, here they're expecting a Messiah, but they're not expecting a Messiah to come as a little baby. They're looking for a warrior. They're looking for someone on a white horse to come in and annihilate the Romans and all the folks and here, well, there's a baby over there. They're calling him the king of the Jews. So I think there's this, the matter of, 
of uh, being uncomfortable and their their world. You know, I like things. My wife would tell you, and she laughs at me all the time. I like things orderly. I I told I, I've been you know. <clears throat> I was saying the other day that, you know, I didn't even start my timer, so boy, y'all in trouble. <laughs> I was saying the other day that, and don't anybody take this personally because I'm not thinking about anybody. I could, but I won't. One of the things that drives me up a wall, and it shouldn't, it's not, it's just on me and not on you, is when you, when you move something or you use something, put it back where you got it. Put it back the way it was. You know, if, if you've used this chair right here, and that's great for you to use that chair, but when you leave the room, don't leave it sitting there. Put it back where it came from. I'm not going to hook it together just so my OCD doesn't go crazy. Well, I mean, that's just me. That's, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. But I think they were a little bit like, our world is like this, and we, we understand certain things, and now you tell us that the king of the Jews has been born. Oh, my goodness, our world has been turned upside down now. So I guess everybody in Jerusalem was OCD. Herod certainly was insecure. He began, immediately began asking questions. Of course, as, as Ricky said, it was liar, liar, pants on fire because he wasn't really wanting to worship Lord Jesus. He wanted to find him. This is a guy who is so insecure, and you've heard me say this before, and I've written it in my Kernels of Truth. This is a guy who's so insecure that he uh, had two of his sons executed because they, he thought they had the capability of trying to dethrone him. So he killed them. He also had their mother executed, his wife, because he thought that there was the potential that she might have an affair on him. She didn't, but he thought she might. And because she might, he had her killed. Now, that's insecurity. That's having a problem. So here's a guy. You see what kind of response he's going to have when these guys show up from the east. Who knows how far they've come? And they say, we're here to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod said, wait a minute. I'm, I, I'm the king. We can't have another king. Thus, his response and he tried to manipulate them. He tried to trick them, which is, we see that very clearly. And they begin to ask, where, where is the king of the Jews? And, of course, uh, he, he calls all the chief priests and all the people, and they, where is, he, where is this baby supposed to be born? And they said, Bethlehem. Scripture is very clear in Micah. Bethlehem, the smallest, not even listed, among the, the cities of Judah, it's so small. Y'all do know bigger is not always better. Oh, and you know, we sing the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. I think a few years ago I wrote a Kernels of Truth on that song, on that topic. Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Well, 
They say he's been born, and they quote Micah, and it says that, that uh, even though Bethlehem was small in size, unregistered, even though it was small in status in the nation of Judah, Micah says, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Small, yes. Unregistered, unaccounted for, yes. Least of the rulers, no. It's the greatest of cities. It's the greatest of those. Why? Because it's the place in God's eternal sovereignty decided and chose and prophesied that the Messiah would be born in this little bitty town. Nobody, nobody would have chosen Bethlehem. Nobody. Because we all know bigger is better. But they, but God said Bethlehem. So they head off towards Bethlehem from Jerusalem. And then we get that scripture. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. Now, why? They weren't rejoicing before, I don't know. If they were rejoicing before, I don't know. But we do know this. They came to worship him. And when they left Jerusalem, headed to Bethlehem, when they saw this, because the star, it acts like or reads like that the star wasn't really guiding them during that time. But all of a sudden, the star was guiding them again. And when they saw that star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Once again, I don't think they knew why. They knew they was going to worship this king, but I don't think they knew all of why, but boy, they were excited. It directed them towards the manger, although by the time they got there, they weren't in the manger. Again, we don't know the time that has elapsed. But they're headed to Bethlehem, and they and they, and we again. It's the what worship thing. What worship these guys had. Don't miss that. It says they entered. Don't miss this part. The house. By this time, we don't. Again, we don't know the time frame. Anywhere from birth to two years. But by this time, the crowd that had been in Bethlehem for the census had left. So now there was room at the inn. And the scripture identifies where they were as a house. We don't know exactly what it is, but they're in a house. They're not in the, the, the barn anymore. They're in a house. Two and a half baths, and three, you know. <laughs> I I, 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 Y'all ought to read Bible commentaries. It's, it's amusing sometimes. Um, and you'll agree that the Bible sheds a lot of light on commentaries, but I read one that said, you know, they, they were kind of rude because they didn't even knock. They just walked in. The Bible says they entered the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. We saw the child. Again, it could be a toddler or It'd be an infant, I don't know. But they saw the child with Mary's mother. It's interesting to me that Joseph is not mentioned. We know he's there. He's either there or he's off doing business of some kind. Again, they're not in their hometown necessarily where they live. But for some reason, Joseph is not mentioned. 
Maybe, maybe Joseph is not mentioned because you have the Lord Jesus born of a virgin. You have the virgin and that God was the father of the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became impregnated and birthed the, the son of God. And Joseph wasn't a biological part of that equation. He was part of the equation. Don't miss that. Next Sunday, if you haven't, you've never heard Don's song, Joseph, it'll be a part of the program. You need to come just to hear that. We heard it this morning listening to the radio. Wilburn and Wilburn recorded it. Entered the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped. Would it be... Or could it be that during this season that whether we're physically doing it or not, that in our hearts we are falling down and worshiping the babe, the child, the toddler, the Lord, the entirety of what Christmas is about. And then I love this this verse. It says, Then opening their treasures. Then opening their treasures. What are we doing and what do we do during the Christmas season that would be qualify, would qualify as our opening our treasures? Well, I'm not talking about money. Now, what they brought had monetary value, but it had greater value. Opening my point is, once they got to that place of being in the presence of, the Bible says, the child, and they fell down and worshipped him, they could not wait to open their treasures to present gifts of worship before this child. Imagine worshipping before a child. Imagine, you know, I'll wait till you get grown, and then I'm going to worship you. Somehow they understood we're worshiping him now. And really, during Christmas season, I don't, we don't need to leave him there, but during Christmas season, we worship a child. We're worshiping the birth of a child. And obviously, he grows up and becomes a man, but they worshiped. The primary reason, one of the primary reasons they had traveled so far, not only was to worship him, was to bring these gifts. They were, they were bringing tangible, real gifts. And they carried them in their, on their camels or whatever. And that's one of the main reasons they did this trip. And they brought treasures and opened them up that were fit for a king. Their treasures were fit for a king is what we bring to the Lord Jesus, not only during this time, but all year long. Is it fit for a king? Or as I said last Sunday, are we just bringing some leftovers to try to appease the Lord? Well, the three gifts they brought say something about who this child is and will be. It says they brought gold and presented it before him. Gold is almost always in the scripture associated with royalty and nobility. It's always dealing with a king. The queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon, we find in Scripture. And when she came, among other things, she brought 
9,000 pounds of gold. Why did she bring nine thousand? Why did she bring gold? Because she wanted to honor the king. Nine thousand pounds of gold in today's money is two hundred and thirty million, over two hundred and thirty million dollars worth of gold. She brought just to honor King Solomon. Before she came, Hiram, king of Tyre, T Y R E, he brought the same amount that she brought. And then he brought another $818 million worth of gold. So I didn't do all the math, but you got about 500. You got about 13 or $1,400 million worth of gold that are brought to King Solomon. Why? Because he was so deserving or since he, because he was such a high moral guy? He had a lot of porcupines. And concubines that go along with them. No. Why did they bring $1,400 million worth of gold? Because he was the king. And gold speaks of nobility and royalty. So how much more should these wise men bring gold to honor the newborn king? of kings and the Lord of lords. How much more? We don't know how much they brought. We don't know what it was worth. The dollar value is not important. What's important is they honored the king by bringing gold. They viewed him. These wise men viewed him as a king. Child, this is what's so unusual about their worship to me. They're, They're seeing this child at the very oldest two years old, probably younger, but they see this child and they see him as a king. How would we see him as a king? I hope so. I hope I hope we do now. I hope we see him as a king now. Too many people see him as other things. This was a prophetic gesture. They didn't even know it. They didn't know what they were doing. They knew bringing gold. They brought it because it was a king, but they didn't know. I don't think they knew that they were, they were offering a prophetic gesture by bringing this gold, presented before the king, stating to the whole world and to all of eternity, to all of history, this is a king, the king. They also brought frankincense. The burning of frankincense was associated in those days with the worship of a deity or associated with priesthood associated with recognizing that deity or recognizing that priesthood who represented that deity. These wise men, they offered another prophetic gesture in this gift by they identified the newborn king as deity. He was very God. He was God. But when they presented Again, this is a prophetic gesture. I'm not sure how much they knew what they were doing, but when they presented the frankincense, they were saying to you and to me and all of eternity, not only is this child a king, this child is God. Whether they knew it or not, their gifts said that to you and to me. Here we are 
on the precipice of 2022 and we still see him as God. And they presented, and these were valuable gifts. Some speculated that they used the, the, the monetary value of these gifts to get back to where they were, you know, as Brad Paisley said, to get where we're going. Uh, and, you know, the expenses that they need. I don't know, but it wasn't, these weren't cheap. The gold wasn't, the frankincense wasn't. And then the third gift they brought is myrrh. Myrrh. Myrrh was a key, key ingredient in those days in spices that were used to prepare bodies for burial, burial spices. It was a very common if you're going to, if you're going to anoint or prepare a body for, a, for a burial that you would use myrrh and other spices mixed together. The question is how did they know or could they know what awaited Jesus regarding his future? Any way they could know that. But again, they, they and their gift was speaking to us today. Their gift said he was the king. Their gift said he was God. And their third gift said that he will, be, he will die. He will need myrrh to prepare him. John 19 uh, 38, we read when, at the, it, when Jesus is crucified. It said, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. Pilate wanted to get rid of that as quick as he wanted to get his hands. So he came. Nick, uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and took away his body. Nicodemus, this is Nick at night. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. About 75 pounds in weight. Think about that. Think about a 75-pound bag. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, with the myrrh, with the aloe, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. We know from other references this belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The myrrh speaks of the burial. It speaks of the anointing the body for burial. And so without even knowing, without even having all the facts, these wise men, these magi travel from somewhere in the east up to two years. We don't know. Could have been a year. Could have been six months. Some people think it's six months. But anyway, they travel this distance and they came with these gifts, their main, their main objective was to present these gifts before this child that they didn't know much about, not knowing that you and I would stand here today and sit here today and look in the Scripture and realize that they were telling us through prophetic gesture that this was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He was very God, and he would, but he would die and be buried 
someday. I'm thinking as Mary is sitting there and they present this myrrh, she knows what that's for. She knows exactly what that's for. She knows what the frankincense means. She knows what the gold means. But she also knows what the myrrh means. Does she know? Does she have a clue what the myrrh meant for her? She had already heard from Simeon as they took the Lord Jesus to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day. She'd already heard these words from Simeon. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Simeon was prophesying that Jesus would die. And we, we fast forward to the scene at the cross when Mary is standing looking at her son hanging on the cross. And her son says to John, Behold your mother. And he says to his mother, Behold your son. A sword will pierce. Did she have a clue when, when they presented the myrrh? I don't know. But it's an indication to us of Jesus' humanity and the manner in which he would save his people that he would die for them. I've referenced several times. Years ago, I used to sing an old Happy Goodman song. I can't find it today, but it's, the, it's called Born to Die. He was born to die. That's his, that was his destiny. It was his future. And yet, and these, these wise men are, they're prophesying this without even, maybe even knowing it. I don't know. Isaiah knew it because he wrote, but he was wounded. Everybody say for our transgressions. And he was bruised. Say it again. For our iniquities. He was the chastisement. Say it again. For our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. He came as a, as a child so that one day he could be our Savior and our substitute. These, these magi, these scientists throughout, they, they came from the East so that throughout history they could, their message could continue to be spoken. I'll close by just reading these words. Again, we don't know if they're, but we three kings, we'll just give them that. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. I'll go, I'll do the chorus last. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. O star of wonder, that's the course. I'll come back to that. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect line. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense, I read that already. Let's read this over here. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume Breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, sounds throughout 
the earth and skies. Oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. And that's their story, and their story speaks to us in our story. And we can, when we say Merry Christmas, may we see the entirety and the whole scope of what Merry Christmas really is. Stand with me.